Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I thank you for each person who is here and pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will direct our minds and our hearts to receive what you would have for us today. For your glory, I ask. Amen. You can be seated. Our uh, culture, it seems, is quite obsessed with the idea of renewal, of finding the new you, of renewing yourself. We see this in a lot of different places. I saw an ad this week on TV that caught my attention because it was an advertisement for a product that promised to renew your knees. And uh, there was a man in his middle age and he was trying to go up the stairs and he stopped and bent over and rubbed his knees and kind of grimaced and then labored on up the stairs. That caught my attention because I've been that guy. And then um, the next thing you know, he takes this supplement and he's bounding up the stairs. And, and the promise was that you can, you can, you know, have knees like you did when you were 30 or 40. And so we see these kinds of advertisements and things. The old want to renew their youth. People of all ages are looking to improve the self by finding a new self. I read about one popular exercise program where the instructor, exercise instructor, asked participants, uh, what do you want to achieve? This is all about you. What do you need to be? The posters on the wall promise that you can become a renegade, a hero, and a warrior through exercise. The new you. And the writer says, this mentality tells us that we are obligated to live our best life now and then gives us a seemingly endless list of requirements, routines, and products to buy necessary for optimizing ourself. Christianity offers renewal for the human being, but it's not by looking to the self. Not by looking to the self. It's by looking to God. And you see that in Colossians chapter 3. If you want to take your bulletin and look at page 7. This impulse for renewal is not bad in and of itself. The question is, how do you get there and what is your goal? And you see what Paul says in Colossians 3. is For Christians, we are being renewed. Having put on the new self, this is verse 10, which is being renewed how? In knowledge, after the image of its creator. And so, for the Christian, the path to renewal is knowledge, knowledge of God. And the goal of the renewal is to be more like God, after the image of its creator. The path is knowledge of God. The goal is to be more like God, or we would say, we could say as Christians... To be more like God incarnate, Jesus Christ. To become more Christ-like. That is the goal of Christian renewal. And how do we get there? Well, it starts with God. Not with the self, but it starts with something that God does. It starts with a miracle that God does in people. And that miracle is a kind of resurrection to new life. And that's where Paul begins here. If you look at that, at verse 1, 
if then you've been raised with Christ seek the things that are above if you've been raised with Christ that's resurrection language so we're not raising ourselves he's saying God has raised you through Christ you and I do not have the power to resurrect ourselves we, we can't raise ourselves from the dead spiritually or physically this is a miracle that God does um, it, it is a work of God that he does as we are, as Paul says in Colossians 2.12, he's already talked about how we're raised. And in Colossians 2.12, he says that it is through baptism and faith. Through baptism, we are marked off as God's children. And we enter into the church, the community. But then we must have personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So that is where the new life begins. And this new life then begins to change people from the inside out. And we are called to cooperate with this change. It's a work of God at the beginning. It is a work of God until the end. Because when I say that we're to cooperate with God for this change, it's not through our own strength. But the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that gave him resurrection life, Paul says, is available to us. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we uh, seek to become more like who God wants us to be, we do that by relying on this resurrection power, the power of God in us, the power of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit. And we have to cooperate with that process. And then God begins to change us. And that change has to do with our desires and our thinking. You see that there? At the second part of verse 1, he begins to talk about our desires and our thinking. That's what is part of what needs to change for this renewal to take place. Seek the things, or you could say, desire the things that are above where Christ is. Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the place of ultimate authority. And we are to seek the things that are above where Christ is. That is, we are to seek heavenly things. It's the same word that Jesus used when he said in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek it, Jesus says. Desire it. This is what you're to set your heart and mind on. The things that God is concerned about, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. Heavenly things. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not concerned for the things of this earth or people on this. This is not escapism, you see. Uh, some, if you look throughout Christian history, the people who were most devoted to God and who had their minds set on heavenly things, and they wanted to hear God say to them at the end, well done, good and faithful servant, those people had a great impact on the earth for good. Loving God and loving neighbor goes together. I was reading, been dipping into a biography of a missionary named William Carey, who was in India in the mid-19th century. And this was a man who was very heavenly minded, very devoted to God. But he launched several reforms for good in India that still carry on today. For example, 
his arguments were part of the reform movement in India to outlaw um, the burning of widows, that practice of when an Indian woman lost her husband to death, she would burn herself or be burned. And, and Carey saw that and said, that's, that's wrong, that's destructive, that's evil. And he put forward arguments that other people took up and that was outlawed because this was a man who was heavenly minded. But he wanted to glorify God on earth, you see. Seek the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Set your minds on things, rather, he says, verse 2, that are above, not the things on earth. And we're going to get to what Paul means by the earthly things in just a second. But I just want you to see here that this renewal that God has raised us to life, new life for, he wants to do this renewal work in us. He calls us to this. It begins at the interior level. It begins with the desires and the thoughts. Seek the things that are above and set your mind, your thinking, your focus, what you, what do you, what you concentrate on. Set your mind on things that are pleasing to God, that have to do with the kingdom of God, that have to do with heaven. See, our... Thinking and our desires go together, don't they? What we think about, we begin to desire. And what we begin to desire, we begin to think about. And those things reinforce our heart and our will. They begin to shape us. What you desire and what you think about go together. So we need to pay attention to the desires that we are beginning to pay attention to and beginning to think about. So this is why advertising works, right? <laughs> this is what advertisers do. They suggest things that you weren't thinking about before. They put things in your mind and they put it in such a context that you want to desire what they want you to desire. They suggest things. So like, I'm going to date myself here with an example. In the movie E.T., what was that, 1982 or something like that? There was a candy that was featured in that movie. You remember what that candy was? Reese's Pieces, that's right. It was supposed to be M&M's, I found out this week. Too bad for M&M's, at least during that time, because after Reese's Pieces showed up in E.T., their sales shot through the roof. I think over, over close to 65% sales increased. Why? Because they put that object before their audience in a compelling context and it was suggested in the mind and then the desires follow. So this is what Paul is after. Paul is a good psychologist <laughs> and, and he knows how human beings operate and so he says you need to think about and desire the things that are above that are pleasing to God. So the question is for us what are you seeking? What are you seeking? What are you desiring? The things of earth will not last. They will fade away. And, and heavenly things will remain. God will remain. So what are you thinking about? What are you desiring? 
Well, Paul says, here's a, here's a reason why we ought to direct our thoughts and desires to things that are above. Look at what he says there, verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, what does he mean that we've died? Well, he's talking about if you, again, have been raised with Christ to new life through faith in Christ, then although we still sin, and although we still think of sinful things and are attracted to sinful things, what has died is that sin no longer has domineering power over us. That's not the spirit that is driving us. We've been given a new spirit, the Holy Spirit. So we've died to the dominion or the enslaving power of sin. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And that means, what he means there by hidden is that it's hidden away in a secure place. That there's no power or person or entity who's going to take this life away from you. This life of salvation that God has given you. No, because Christ is in the highest place. You see, he's at the right hand of the Father, a place of authority. So there's no power greater than Christ that can take this life away from you. It's hidden away. It's like if you had in your house maybe taking inventory of cash or jewelry and you were counting it and putting it out on the dining room table and then you find out that strangers were coming, you would hide that away in a safe place. Maybe in a safe. Lock it up. They couldn't get to it. And that's what Paul's saying. You're, this precious thing that God has given you, this life of salvation, that is kept secure for you. And, and, and so, rest secure in that. Nobody can take it away. And God has given something infinitely greater to you than all the things of earth, and that is life with God. And then he says that when Christ, who is your life, appears, this is at the end of time. This is the second coming of Christ, which we confess every Sunday that we believe in. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So he's saying that when Christ, who is your life, appears, the, the, the beauty and the goodness and the glory of that life of salvation, life with Christ, which is somewhat hidden today, that will be revealed to you. You will see the astonishing beauty and glory and goodness and truth of Christ. Our best life is not now. Our best life is then. When we see Christ in glory. And so when I'm tempted to desire and dwell upon earthly things. When my heart begins to value these kinds of things. And these behaviors and attitudes that Paul's about to address here. More than what God has given me in Christ. I need to ask the Spirit to help me to remember the value of what I have in Christ. The greater value. The greater value. Okay, so then Paul writes about, so he says, okay, these are the things that you need to do positively in your thinking and in your, uh, at the level of your will. And then here are the things that you need to cast off. And then next week, uh, Luke Davis is going to preach and he's going to talk about the virtues that Paul calls us to put on. Um, but here are the things that we're called to take off. So listen to this. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, these first four things that he mentions, these first four vices, they all have to do with sexuality. So, about to get a little uncomfortable here. Sexual immorality, that word porneia, it means any sex outside of the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman. That is what it means. Porneia. So, he's saying this is earthly. This belongs to an old way of life that the Colossians had been living in. But now they've been given a new life. And although that's acceptable in the old life, porneia, not acceptable in the new life. You've been given a new life, that you shouldn't walk in these things. Porneia would exclude sex outside of marriage, sex before marriage, adultery in marriage. It would exclude prostitution, which was rife in Paul's day. It would, it would exclude same-sex relationships. That's controversial to say today, and it's countercultural. It was in Paul's day as well. But that's what Paul says. He says, that, that belongs to an old way of life. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire, which that would include things like lust and pornography. So why is God so concerned about this? Why is this mentioned so often in the scriptures? Why is God so concerned about sexual behavior? The sex drive, this is no news to any of us, is one of the most powerful drives that we experience. And this power can be used to promote human flourishing. It, it can be used to promote family and community when it is um, wedded to the context that God has designed it to operate in. Namely, marriage between a man and a woman, a covenant marriage, a loving relationship in which to raise children. When it operates in that context, it can lead to and does lead to human flourishing. Those marriages aren't perfect, by the way. Of course not. But, but that's the design that God has created for this drive to flourish. But when the drive operates outside of this framework, it doesn't lead to human flourishing. It leads to heartache and broken families. It can lead to disease and addiction and an overall disorder in society. It's like when a sea exceeds its boundaries, like we saw in the hurricanes in Florida. It just can leave devastation in its wake. And so that, that's why God warns about this. Now that, you can think about that. You may agree or disagree. But that's the biblical view. And that's why God in His love warns us about it. That's why God, as part of the renewal project, He, he forgives us of these things. He cleanses us. 
These Colossians had lived this way, and now they've been given a new life through the forgiveness of God. And, and God cleanses us of these things, forgives us. He strengthens us as we struggle with this, living in this new life, as we look to Him. But He warns us out of love. He wants His image bearers to live and flourish, and that's why He calls us to put these things away, to put them to death. We're to put away covetousness, which he says is idolatry. And you can define covetousness this way. The insatiable desire to get more things. <laughs> to get more things. To acquire material things. But it doesn't have to do just with material things. It can be, I covet somebody else's power. Or I covet their prestige. Or I covet the platform that they have. I covet their influence. I covet another pastor's ministry or his church. It can be about a lot of different things. What it's not about is trusting in God to provide and being grateful for what God has given you. And so that can become an idol, right, in our life, covetousness. And then Paul, he lists other vices here. Look at this in verse 7. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. And then here's some other ones. Anger, wrath, malice. Now these are the kinds of things that we might overlook in ourselves and say, now, these kinds of things I'm not that concerned about. The stuff in verse 5, yes. <laughs> the stuff in verse 8, maybe we give ourselves a pass. These kinds of behaviors and attitudes. We give ourselves a pass. Now, if somebody flashes out against us in these ways, we don't give them, we see that. But he says, these are the kinds of things that we have to do away with also. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from our mouth. And do not lie to one another. Lying as well. Let me just say a word about slander. Okay? Slander, that word there, the Greek word is actually blasphemia. We get our word blasphemy from this word. And obviously this has to do with blaspheming God we're not to do that but it also has to do with blaspheming other people who are created in the image of God they're fellow image bearers and Paul says in Titus 3 2 remind them remind the Christians listen to this not to speak evil of anyone not to speak evil of anyone of don't speak evil about another image bearer and we have to watch ourselves because we live in such a divided and contentious culture. And so much of the discourse around the divisions in our culture have to do with slandering other people with whom we disagree. And we're called to cast that off as Christians. What gives me the right as an image bearer of God to slander another image bearer? What gives me that right? When I think about what Paul's writing here, and Christ has a lot to say too about the words we use against other people. I mean, it, it brings me to a place of self-examination and asking God to be merciful to me, a sinner. I need to grow in this slandering. But these are ways of behavior that belong to the old way of life. We're not to walk around in them anymore. We're to cast them aside like worn out clothes. They don't fit us anymore. They don't look good on us. We're to walk around in new clothes, something that's fitting, 
for a person who's been given new life, redeemed by the blood of Christ. Paul says, here's another reason. Verse 6, we ought to grow in this new life because the old life is under the judgment of God. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Jesus in our gospel reading talks about a day of justice coming. It's all through the New Testament. The wrath of God is coming. How can you believe in a God of love and a God of wrath? How do you hold these things together? Well, how can you not believe in a God of wrath if you believe in a God of love? Because the things that destroy life and destroy love are the things that God opposes. Now, if, if somebody was to come into my house and want to harm my children, it would not be loving for me to look the other way. Be apathy. Right? Or if my children were involved in things that I knew were destructive for them, and I didn't say anything, didn't try to intervene in some way, that would not be loving. That would be apathy. That would be complacency. How much more is God, who is perfectly loving and perfectly just, opposed to evil and harmful things? And the good news is that God has offered us salvation from the wrath that we deserve as we sing about today at the cross. God in Christ took the judgment for our sin in our place. He bore the wrath and died the death that we deserved so that we can have this new life. That's where the renewal begins, at the cross of Christ. The empty tomb and the cross of Christ gives us new life for those who trust in Him. And so make sure today that you have taken what God offers in Jesus Christ to save you from this judgment that will come. Paul says, and Christ says as well. Well, the early church father, John Chrysostom, said, uh, he, he, he gave a, a nice, I think, image of this renewal process that God does in us. John Chrysostom, great church father and preacher, said, it's like, this renewal is like a, a man finding a statue that's been covered with dirt and grime. And he cleans it up. And he puts it out in the sun for it to gleam and to shine bright. That's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We've been cleansed. We've been forgiven. We've been made new. We're meant to shine with the glory of God. But then Chrysostom said what happens with that statue is that the wind brings the dust and the grime again. And so we have to attend to it. It needs to be wiped clean every day for it to shine properly. And that's what God calls us to in this text. He calls us by the Holy Spirit through daily repentance and self-examination to ask Him to reveal things in our life that need to be cleaned. And, and so Paul has given us a list here and maybe one way to apply it for us this week is just to sit with this. Sit with this list and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal if there are attitudes and behaviors that I am beginning to walk in 
that are not fitting for somebody who's been made new. It's kind of a heavy message this morning, but it's also hopeful. I want you to catch this before we end here. Because it's hopeful because who we are today is not who we're going to be tomorrow. You see, God has given you new life. God calls you into this. And who you are today is not who you're going to be tomorrow or the next day. And certainly not in eternity. Because he's come to make us new. And he calls us to cooperate. And part of that renewal is casting some things off in our life that don't fit anymore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit we will take time to examine ourselves uh, to see if there are things in our life that are not fitting for a baptized, redeemed child of God. There are great and enormous pressures in this world, in our culture, to embrace things that are ill-fitting. But you have given us a vision of a renewed humanity who can shine with the glory of God. Help us to pursue that vision for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.